Welcome to the Moon God Pod. I'm your host as always, JWL LAX, and today we are going to do something a little different. Uh, we've spent the first uh, bunch of episodes kind of featuring a lot of our community members in Aku, the Moon Gods. I, of course, am a Moon God, and while I host this show with Lovox, today I brought in a close friend of mine, the host of Pick Up the Six, Brian Jodis. He's going to kind of be taking my role and kind of interviewing me. I'm going to let him take the wheel today uh, because I think it's important that you guys know a little bit more about who's hosting this podcast. Um, so we're going to do one feature with me, and then we will down the road do one with Love Ox as well and kind of mix it up for him and make it special. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to throw the keys to the car to my man, Brian Jodis. What up, Jay? This is exciting, man. It's fun to uh, to do this, right? Obviously, uh, puts me in a familiar position here, but behind this side of the microphone as a podcast host, but also thrilled, man, just for your audience to get to hear from you a little bit, get to know you a little bit better, hear kind of about your journey that gets you to this point, because it's been an exciting couple of years, man, specifically in this space for you guys, as things are sort of rapidly changing, right? We discussed it, and I and I, I mean, you're my best friend. We have known each other since mm -hmm. you know fourth grade, uh, so so a long time. Um, but I wanted someone that kind of knew me and also was familiar from an outside of the metaverse angle too, to kind of you know interview in in a style that's like kind of learning. But also, you know a lot about me, so uh, yeah. I'm curious to see where you take this and what kind of. Uh, part of my past that we end up touching on there. Oh, there are probably we're gonna, some things we're that digging are deep. We're going to find some things out. They're going to, this might be a therapy session. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. It's fun, man, because you know, you've become, you know, my go-to resource as it relates for these things. And obviously I've been watching and listening and following along specifically in this NFT journey and loved what you and love Ox were doing when you were talking top shot and what, you know, what that space looked like. And now, to see sort of this transition in and specifically this journey with our man Aku and what that's looked like. And it's cool because I've heard so much from you about the journey, but then you're always like, what's really, what's really going on. And then you see the new York or the, the times article, right? This whole times magazine, right? One of the most famous magazines in the United States, if not the world. And there's Aku on the front of it. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is the real deal. Not that I didn't believe you before, but what an affirmation. Mm -hmm. So I just, what was that experience like, man, to see that, to, to know Micah the way you do, to see it all kind of take shape with that. I mean, that's kind of a real deal moment. We were waiting. So the first, the digital part of it came out and we found out that it was going to be a physical cover, but the NFT came out. And so of course, you know, I had to scoop that up. That's time has really embraced the NFT space mm -hmm. and putting their covers, their, their special edition covers as uh, an NFT um, marking history. So for the first NFT project to kind of be featured on time and to see our little guy, Aku, you know, right on the cover, that was pretty sweet. I was, what's funny is like, we're now in a world where it's like, where do I go find a magazine besides the airport? I had to do this recently with an article that was written about some friends of mine and yeah. I went all over town looking for a hard paper of the New York times, right? Magazine versus it's also kind of ironic to me too, that you're so much in this, right, in the digital space, in the NFT space, but you're like, I got to have the paper copy of I, the Time magazine. You got to have it. I, I, I mean, the 
a big part of the space is collectibles. And so I found a store when it finally came out and I bought like five of them. And what was funny was they were like eight bucks a piece. So I'm spending like 40, 45 bucks. And I'm like, damn, this is fucking expensive. <laughs> Meanwhile, I paid 150 for the digital yeah. version of it. So the, 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 there's a weird uh, disconnect when it comes to purchasing price, like spending $10 on a magazine or $10,000 on a JPEG. Right. Like, you know, there's a weird disconnect from reality uh, in this space. Yeah. You know, one thing I love about what you guys are doing, right? Micah's vision behind it. And then the way your community is embracing it is this is the character of this kid, right? What this kid stands for, the reason why he built him. You know, you think about, right, minority kid, eyes on the sky, wanting to get in space, but not having anyone to really look up to in that in that space, quite literally, it's, just, it's a neat story. Now, that's what draws me to it and what I think is so cool about what you're doing. So when you first heard about it, right, because you got to see some stuff at, at the beginning, what were your thoughts sort of at the beginning of this journey for Aku? You know, so Lovox is is uh, my Obi-Wan, if you will. Mm. Like he's he, he got into crypto years before I did, but NFTs a few months and he was kind of the top shot thing is what got us in. And you need something that piques your interest into some new technology. And basketball was the easiest for us. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Nifty Gateway started coming out. He had bought a Beeple and a couple other pieces. And when he sent me the link for Micah, that was that was almost that was one of the first NFTs that I bought. But all he, he sent me that link to the Genesis with Aku walking through the art gallery, and just even the the beat you know, like had a vibe to it. Hmm. Um, I thought it was one of the coolest things. And I, you know, my kind of art taste, you know, is dogs playing poker, <laughs> you know, like I like, uh, there's actually an tigers, dinosaurs. tigers, yeah, yep. dinosaurs, yep. you know, great stuff. And um, so when I saw it, I was like, it was interesting, but the truth be told, a big part of why I got into space was because I thought there was money to be made. This was the first art piece that kind of resonated on a different level. Um, what really took my interest to him to the next level is we're doing this podcast for Top Shot and we wanted to kind of branch out and be more than just the Top Shot space. And I was like, there's no way I could get Micah on the podcast. And he pinged me like five minutes later. He's like, let's do it. And when we got to talk to him, that's when everything changed in my vision for what he was saying, because um, his passion, I think just the fact that he's a former athlete, athletes just have this way of connecting um, on a different level. Um, not saying that I was ever close to his level, but I just kind of trust uh, certain players mm -hmm. and their work ethic. And you, and you can figure it out really quick, especially like someone that isn't just, naturally gifted you know like not to say he wasn't but it's not like a Strasburg that at 18 or a Dwight Gooden at 18 that just comes in the league and you know has the potential like he yeah, had to work working. to get he where working. he got yeah. Yeah. yeah and so that that was very motivating for me and and everything that he's come out with the art in itself as motivating you and I are both you know from small town America uh so while our struggles might not be the same as what Aku's struggles is. There's a lot of adversity. I don't think that anyone would have pegged 
not just us, but someone coming from our hometown to say, like, both of us were going to eventually be on television. And that's what we did. You know, mm-hmm. you were a sportscaster. I was a sportscaster. Um, I'm in Los Angeles now. Like, I've had a definitely a different path. Uh, people don't really expand from where we are. And Aku is all about that. It's it's about reaching for the stars. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about um, sort of overcoming that adversity that you talked about, right? And, and finding a path mm-hmm. to passions for you. Uh, last thing on this front, though, what what's the future for this look like? And, and how's this community been around you guys, right? So now you're into kind of podcast number two here in the space. What's the reception been like? And, and what do you hope the future looks like? So the first podcast was a great opportunity for us to talk basketball. And mm-hmm. we assumed Top Shot was going to be this amazing thing, which it was. Uh, it is since, you know, we, we stopped doing the podcast because we got tired of talking bad about Top Shot and we wanted a positive podcast. So we just derailed that. Um, this whole podcast for the Moon God was because there's so many amazing community members that have been around uh, since the beginning and we wanted an opportunity to certainly promote Aku, but let people realize that this is just more than art, more than JPEGs. There is a movement. There is a strong community. And what's fascinating is, you know, every every podcast uh, episode we've had so far, these guys have some crazy, amazing stories. And more importantly, they're, they're some sharp individuals. You know, they're operating on a level uh, that you might not be exposed to, like in your day job, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking at different opportunities and different vantage points. I think traditionally, you know, and I'll just say like 90% of the population wakes up, works, comes home, eats dinner, watches Netflix, goes to bed. And these guys, maybe they have a day job, but they're working the rest of the night on something else. And those are the type of people I want to be around and learn from. So while I would love the podcast to reach heights and and this be like a big thing, you know, for me personally, I look at it as this is like an education for me learning uh, so much from all these talented individuals. Yeah, I love it. You're able to just gobble stuff up every time. Every time you walk away from recording a show, you feel like you've added something in to what you're trying to do, which is really cool. He's Wow LAX. He's the co-host of the Moon God pod it's your boy brian jodas host of pick up the six podcast we're collaborating right we got a collab going you through. you have that opportunity with your podcast mm-hmm. too and i and i, I definitely want yeah. you to mention that like i've listened to a number of them and yours is kind of one of those where i feel like i want to run through a wall after i listen to your podcast yeah i do too because of the folks that we talked to we've set up a platform called pick up the six where we focus on people that have gone above and beyond themselves to do something through service before self strength of purpose and community impact. And so a lot of those are people that have done motivating things, have done hard things, folks that have done real heroic things. And and like you, I just, I feel such a, well, I just always feel gratitude when I'm done with those shows to hear from people that have legitimately saved people's lives uh, is pretty cool. And then also we live in a wild world, man, where everybody tells you you suck. And so I think it's good for us to focus in on stories that remind us how good people are, the way that we are united by a lot more than what divides us. 
Uh, and so those are the stories that we share. Uh, shameless plug. You go check us out. Pick up the six.com. We're on Instagram, Spotify, you know, Apple podcasts, all that stuff. You can go find us. And, and if it sounds like something you want to listen to, by all means, uh, come on in and, and be a part of what we're doing over there as well. I want to talk about life-changing moments with you, right? You've had a series of life-changing moments that I think lead you to where you are today. One of which is you're in college and you get an opportunity to go intern at CNN. And that's a, that's a life-changing moment. And I know it was, but it was also impactful for you and for what the next sort of genesis of your life would look like. So tell me a little bit about that process going to CNN because you picked up some pretty incredible mentors and people that have impacted your life in that. So if I, if I take it just a couple months before the CNN opportunity really presented mm -hmm. itself, uh, you and I and a couple of buddies were pledging a fraternity and unceremoniously I was asked not to be a part of said fraternity anymore. And I kind of, you know, like I took it personally as I should probably, sure. yeah. but you know, with every, uh, you know, missed opportunity, another door opens that whole cliche. And for me, after that happened, um, I just read it, and, and I think I've been good at this. I read that as like, this isn't a missed opportunity. This is telling, trying to shove me in a different direction. And I literally, like that uh, that December, January, was just filling out applications for internships. I was like, I'm going to do something big this summer. And I mean, like I, I had the WWE, ESPN, uh, CNN, the Howard Stern show. Like I had you were all these going after all of them. Like, like I, I, like I wasn't trying to get the local radio station. I was going for the biggest internships and in TV I could. So fast track. Uh, I heard back from all of them, which was amazing. Uh, Howard Stern interviewed me, not him personally, but uh, their, their producers. And they said, we love it. We want you to move to New York. You're in. And this is towards the end of the semester. Wow. And so, I was, I, 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 truth be told, I was like, wow, I'm going to get to watch porn all summer, <laughs> you know, because that's what a lot of their internship was there. like. Right. But I, I did not want to do radio, but I was like, if I put Howard Stern on, this is it. And literally the week leading up to me leaving college and going to New York, I get a phone call from CNN SI and they're like, uh, sorry, we're late in the game. Uh, we just got it, you know, went through and, we want to interview you. And I said, great. I took a sports test, got a perfect score on my sports test, um, interviewed great. And then they called me up uh, on a Thursday and they said, we just wanted to call you because we made a mistake. We thought we had three spots. We only had two, um, but you're so good. Would you be interested in this other type of internship? And I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll grab the coffee. I'll sweep the floors. Like, just get me yeah. to CNN. Yeah. So he was like, a, he patched me to this guy named Alan Duke, who was a producer of what was called the students, uh, the student bureau of CNN. And Alan is an amazing guy, but he's a ball buster. And he gets on the horn and he's like, uh, you know, well, what's your experience? And he's like, ah, you don't really have that much experience. I was like, thanks. And um, he said, this, this internship's the best internship you could possibly have at CNN. He was like, I've got a spot. He's like, uh, but I don't know if you're really committed to it. He said, if you're here Monday morning at 10 a.m., not a minute later, you have it. If not, don't bother coming. 
Well, and I this like, is on I like a this tact. I like this. I like this strategy. This was on a Thursday, and I'm supposed to go to New York mm-hmm. like the following week. And so I have to make this decision. I pack up all my shit. I move back to my parents' house, like from my college room, and um, it's Friday. I find a room to rent in Atlanta. I put all my eggs in this one basket. I go down to Atlanta. Never been. Uh, never driven in like freeway traffic like Atlanta either, for that matter. And I show up Monday and I'm sitting out there and he walks in and he's like, let's get to work. And, you know, I called Howard Stern and said, I'm, I'm at CNN, sorry. And uh, they understood, which was great. They didn't probably care because I was an intern. And the first week I knew I didn't want to waste this opportunity and I've always been get there early, stay late. And I realized TNT was right across the street figuratively, but part of the Turner, which I was now a part of. And I had this badge. And so I asked my boss, Alan, I was like, is there a way you could get me over to the studio? Like, I love NBA. They're doing inside the NBA. And Ernie Johnson is like who I want to be. And so he gets me this in with the lighting coordinator named Garvin Roundtree, who had lit like shows like uh, In Living Color. And so I'm hanging out with him and he's telling me all about the lights. And he's like, you really don't give a shit about this, do you? And I was like, not really. <laughs> I was like, but I'd really like to meet Ernie. And he was like, sure. And so he introduces me to Ernie. And, and I, you know, I tell Ernie, I was like, you're the guy that I want to be like, like everything about you. And I didn't know him that well. I just knew what his job was. And uh, he said, come here every day. He's like, you can sit across from me. And when I, I'm busy, you go sit in the green room, which is great. I'm hanging out now with my childhood hero, Charles Barkley, watching games, which he never back then watched any games. He's busy watching wrestling and West Wing the whole time. And that's a hoot. And I'm learning from, in my eyes, like at that time, especially the best sportscaster in the business. And uh, so I would literally be at CNN at 10 o'clock in the morning, have to take the train in, take the train back at five, get in my car, drive back to TNT, which was right around the corner, and then stay there all night till like two, three in the morning and mm-hmm. rinse and repeat every day. And it, it was, it changed everything for me, really. There's, there's, but there's some valuable lessons in there about, just going all in, man. Like you're the kind of guy that, uh, and, and we don't, you know, with the amount of time we have, we can't get into every element of your journey because it would take us four hours. Cause you've done pretty much everything under the sun, right? You're an author, you're a professional poker player, you're a certified magician, right? You're, you're one of the best barbacks in all of LA. Like you've got the ability to do all these things, but, but, but I think it's because you open yourself up to opportunity. And in that moment, you could have just, now, oh, you know, I committed to Howard Stern guys. I'll go up there and do that thing. But that wasn't your passion where you wanted to be. And you also were like, fuck it. I'll just do whatever you want me. Like, what do you need me to do here? What can I do here to be around you guys, to learn from you guys? There's something to that. There's something to putting yourself out there and being willing to go for it. Yeah. I think we have a connection. You and I have a huge connection, but something very specific. It just kind of clicked. It's, uh, it's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Now, at one point you and I were both sportscasters and we used to talk on the phone, like on our way to games and stuff every Friday night, man, from, from field to field. But you, 
I remember when I decided to officially leave as a full-time sportscaster and everybody that I ran into said, like, how could you possibly give this up? You had the greatest, the dream job. But I knew that I wanted something different. And I had seen behind the curtain. I knew what being a sportscaster's lifestyle really was. And while it was amazing to get to go to games every single day, there were other things that I wanted in my life. You made a similar pivot um, leaving broadcasting, you know, becoming a family man and like kind of creating your own business as well. I think that that is something that's lacking very much. Uh, it's just self-awareness and being real honest with like, yeah, this is cool. And other people might think it's cool, but like these other things I really want to pursue. And, and I'm not afraid to like, kind of, I, I never felt like I was jumping off a bridge or anything right. like I, I always felt there was a parachute or a net. I could always figure it out, you know? Yeah. I, well, I think that's some self-awareness and also just some self-confidence knowing that look, whatever's thrown at me here, like I'll, I'll find a way to make this thing work. We would fast forward a little bit, right? So that obviously is just incredible. You get incredible experience that launches you into working in local television as a sports broadcaster and a reporter You cover a lot of things, but at some point, life's ready for a, a new challenge and something different. And that sends you to Louisiana and new Orleans and life-changing moment happens there. So tell us about that experience. Yeah. So the sports casting thing, it wasn't that I was necessarily ready to leave it behind, but I wasn't getting the contract that I wanted for my next gig. And so I was in this limbo and I had an agent that um, wanted me to do acting and I'm not an actor, but She's like, you're comfortable on TV. Like, let me send you out for stuff. And I was like, no. She's like, if you do a McDonald's commercial, we'll make $50,000. I was like, fine, I'll do a couple. Like, well, I would do was... a McDonald's commercial just for some food. <laughs> yeah. I never got the McDonald's break, but you know, like that, I, that was convincing sure. enough. So I get this, I get this film, uh, like a movie of the week crap for Christmas and it's filming in New Orleans. Uh, I drive down there for the audition which was like a thousand miles round trip just for one audition. And they casted me and they were like, we need you here for three weeks. So I just up and moved to new Orleans to film this movie, figured I'll learn to bartend or do something. I ended up staying in new Orleans for almost six months, constantly working, doing like these small crappy parts, but like actually making more money doing that. And mm -hmm. getting to eat good because craft services and the catering are phenomenal. And in New Orleans to boot. And, yeah. Yeah. And I was having a blast. I started bartending. Like that was cool. And then um I was I was working on one film with uh Michael Keaton and uh I was Brendan Fraser's stand-in. And I worked for like a month and a half. Awesome. And you know, Brendan was so cool. Michael Keaton was a little bit of a jerk, but he's like that method actor. Yeah, but he's like kind of crazy and quirky and weird. Yeah. But I'm hanging out with Batman. I'm good, you know? Right. And like, I'm literally going to get cast in this movie with a speaking role as soon as Brendan is cut from the movie because they were going to film all his. We still had a couple weeks. They had some other stuff they needed you to. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get this notice that there's a hurricane coming mm. and they got to figure it out. And it ends up being Hurricane Katrina. And it wipes out not just production of the film, but my life. You know, like I literally drove to Lafayette the night before it made landfall, thinking that it was just going to be nothing. It was going to blow over. Uh, New Orleans at that time had been 50 years without a major hurricane. 
And they usually all, if you follow the history, they always curl in and give Florida a work, but they mm-hmm. always miss New Orleans. They never come straight at New Orleans, yeah. This was too big, and uh, I lost everything, my home, my job. You know, I had a suitcase and my Xbox. That's Those were the important things I fled with. Uh, but I thought I was coming back. And, yeah. um, and that's what really kind of just changed a lot, you know. In that moment, when did you decide, okay, then I'm L.A. bound. It's time to head west. It's time to go out to the land of hope and dreams. All right. When did you, when did you make that decision? So the decision went to L.A. was actually before New Orleans. I was work, going to work you know, for a couple months, save money and go to LA. But then that movie comes up and I was like three weeks of work in New Orleans, like, let's do it. So that actually kind of, New Orleans actually held me back in essence, but it gave me like this training wheels feeling of how to handle acting and just that industry. Um, I was, after Hurricane Trina, I, you know, I went through a big depression. You know, there were people that I still, to this day, I don't know if they survived. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people that I know were in that Superdome dealing with that nightmare. And, you know, this is pre-Facebook and like real technology. So connecting and staying connected was very difficult. Um, so it was about October, like a month and a half. And I went to the beach with my buddy and we got really drunk. And and I just, I just had one of those moments uh, where like in a deep depression where I, I was kind of, I was, I, I, I was on the edge, like literally, literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. And so it was like sunrise at, uh, at this beach in North Carolina. And I went on the beach, my buddies passed out and, uh, there's no one around. And I, it was pretty dark, you know, like I was drinking a lot and, um, I walked to the edge of the pier and I literally walk on the other side or, you know, crawl on the other side. And in my mind, I, I didn't want to end it, but I needed, I, I'm all about testing. And I was like, I'm going to test you, God. I'm going to jump in this cold ass water late October. If I make it back to shore, you want me to do something with my life. If I don't, uh, that's not how it's supposed to happen. And I, I kid you not in this moment. And I'm bear in mind, I'm wasted. Mm-hmm. I see this head pop over my shoulder and look down at the water and he just goes, that water's pretty cold down there. You should probably get on this side of the pier. And I'm when I like, it sounds nuts, but there was nobody like there was no one out there. And I crawl back over. He's over on the other side, you know, about 10, 15 feet away. And he's like baiting his hook, getting ready to cast. And I didn't say anything. I just walked, to the pier and went to bed. I don't know what that means, mm. but I know that when I woke up and I was driving back home, it was on. It's like, I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to find a way to get to LA and I'm dramatic. So it had, I had to leave the day after Christmas. You know, I wanted to be in California for 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I did, I waited tables at lunch. I bartended at night at a country club. I DJed at a club. I was doing some borderline acting stuff, anything to make money and save. And I did that. And day after Christmas, I came to LA. And uh, yeah, it was that was what that was that was pretty uh, intense. Yeah, that is intense. Um, all right, let's fast forward. So now you're in LA, and everything is uh, going to be amazing. 
You're going to get all these acting jobs. You're going to just take off. And those things begin to happen. But adversity hits life-changing moment once well, in a we, It's up to you as to how much you want to talk about it. But no, no, I'm, I'm there's some incredible the fast, stuff that happens in your life there. The fast forward is interesting because it really won't fast forward. It's three weeks after yeah. I got to LA. And in that three weeks, like I got in a bartending job. I'd already done like two or three movies. Like uh, I was, I've become SAG eligible within three weeks, which is right. ridiculous. You're off to a good start. Yeah. And of course I met this hot girl on a set, you know, LA actress, of course. And she invites me out and uh, you know, I'm still drinking at that time and we're partying and I just don't understand how this little five, two girl is able to out drink me later. I found out that she had a, uh, narcotic help um but we go back and it's kind of like the after party and there's a lot of uh you know party favors around and my mom mm -hmm. always told me they're not going to believe if they raid the place they're not going to believe you weren't doing anything so my drunk brain says let me go sleep in the car and of course by the time i get to the car i decide to drive and i went the wrong way down a one-way street and had a head-on car accident and Fortunately, no one was injured, uh, but, you know, I got the DUI and uh, what I call the the golden ticket to sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, so I, my buddy, he said, you're supposed to be the rock star first and then have the behind the music story. He you was fast like, forwarded right to the shitty part. Yeah, I got right to the dirt. And, uh, and that was tough because, you know, I, I totaled my car. I had all this DUI stuff, expenses, mm -hmm. uh, sleeping on a buddy's, you know, uh, living room floor. And, and you're riding parents, a fucking bike around LA in the rain. My parents, they said, you got two choices. You can join the military or we'll pay and fly you back home. And I, I took option three, which is I was, I'm going to figure it out. Yep. And I bought a crappy bike from Walmart and I was riding 200 miles a week. Like I was do still doing auditions. I was bartending. If you know LA, it's massive. I was living near LAX and I had a bartending job in downtown, which is about a 20, 25 mile ride through some treacherous streets. And uh, I was doing it. And that really, that first year in LA, it I, I, I will never have that feeling of fear, like, you know, that I'm, I'm not going to make it. You know, if I lost everything and started from zero today, like within a week or two, you know, I would I would be able to recover, you know, uh, very humbling is what it did. And that's mm -hmm. something that I think is quite rare in this city. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it leads to also your just ability to kind of try new things and, and to embrace new things and. Again, I talked about at the beginning, you, you talk about a guy who was a sports broadcaster and an anchor and a bartender, uh, certified magician, has performed at the Magic Castle, uh, bartender, and now an author, right? So you've done all these incredible things. Well, what is it about you that just has you wired to be able to take on so many different challenges like that? So many different, like, why would you do all those things? I, so I think there's two things, like, the one of the one of the things is look at my friends look at you you know you're not just a regular nine to five type of person that you know like the life was kind of planned out you've you were you were in you're the one that turned me into 
you know, sports cast. I think you're the one that had the idea first and we both ran with it. Um, my group, my close group of friends are different, you know, like we, we didn't, we, we didn't necessarily, we didn't take the same path, but we didn't take the formula path that most people I think in life do. So that kind of helps. And they've, you, all, all the support, like, um, my parents, certainly they're after the CNN thing, especially they were like, you know, whatever this kid says he's going to do, like mm -hmm. he's going to do it. So that support was uh, important. And it only had to be from a, a few people. Um, the other thing is like, I'm an only child. Everything I've ever done in my life, my first day of school was I had no brother, you know, to tell me how it was going to be summer camps. Like I showed up by myself, didn't know anybody, you know, um, I've, filled an entire passport book up with stamps and 80% of those trips have been by myself, mm -hmm. you know, so I being able, being alone and having to have self-reliance has never been short on me, you know? Um, and with that said, all my friends are always a phone call away. And I think it's interesting in this technological age, like you and me love ox, uh, and a handful of other friends, like we talk on the phone. We don't, we don't have text threads. It's like, what's going on? What's up with you? You know, yeah. and we talk frequently and that, you know, even in LA, it's funny. Cause I can have a buddy that lives 30 minutes away, but it's such a pain in the ass just to hook up and stuff, but we can always talk on the phone and that's been huge. And, uh, you know, and getting sober was a big thing. I've been sober since that car accident. And, I it, it, I feel like Dumbo with the flower with the feather sometimes. Like as long as I hold on to that, I'll always be able to fly. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to take the chance of, you know, like I like I've, I'm 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 at an age now where I'm not missing anything, you know, yeah. by having that in my life. But um, that's like a win. Like you know, like there was a Navy guy that wrote a book like Make Your Bed Every Day. Like so that way you have like one win. Yep. Well. I don't make my bed every day, but every night that I go to bed that I didn't have a drink, I won, you know, and it doesn't matter if I stayed in bed all day or, you know, I think it's, I think it's Admiral McRaven, I think. Yeah. And trying to pull through the brain, but you're exactly right. And for what it's worth, you've become an inspiration and a motivation to hundreds, if not thousands of people who have seen your story, have followed along and, and continue to be amazed by your dedication to that. Because it, it would be easy just to slide back into those old habits. But you're right. You're not missing anything and your life is better for it. Uh, last thing, and look, we got as much time as you want, right? This is your platform. But one other thing I want to make sure we definitely talked about was, so then you go and you write a book, right? You write a bestseller in The Bartending Therapist. And you take from all these different experiences, right? From having all these conversations with people from behind the bar because- when you think about that, that's kind of what that person can become, especially if you've got regulars and you're at a place where you can build a relationship, you kind of become a therapist for these folks. So what was the experience of writing that like? And, and, uh, what did you really gain from doing it? So I think we've all met a bunch of people or even for a listener thinking to themselves, like I should write a book. I'm going to write a book and they never do. You know, I actually, when I was, the first idea for the book was going to be the hand you're dealt and it was going to be poker concepts for your life. So that was kind of the, 
the branding that I wanted. Could still be a good idea. <laughs> well, I, in my brain, I felt like I needed to be a world champion sure. to pro- put that book out so that it would be credible. And then, um, so I was, as a pro poker player, I was pursuing that. And, and then one day it just kind of, I thought, well, my father's a psychologist. I was like, maybe if I was a psychologist, that's the credibility that I need. And so I went to grad school and applied and I was going to do that. And then I was like, well, why am I going to spend, you know, $150,000 on a degree just to be credible to write a book? And I talked to my lawyer and he was like, well, don't call yourself the bartending psychologist, call yourself the therapist and it's legal and you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I've got the brand that I can make myself credible because I am a bartender, you know, and the number one reason I wrote the book had nothing to do with anybody that read it. It had to do with the fact that I wanted to write a book. I'm all about legacy and immortality. The majority of men, uh, our immortality will be passing our seed through our children, you know, like um, generations and generations. You know, I I always, I actually, when I was writing, I always thought of the book or, or the, the scene in Troy with Achilles and he's deciding whether or not he should go fight for Troy and his mother says, like, if you stay here, you'll meet a wonderful woman. You'll have children and they'll talk about you and their children will talk about you and then you'll be forgotten. But if you go and fight in this war, they will talk about you forever. Now, my book is not going to be talked about forever. But I did have this weird thought that I was like, you know, what if like 150 years from now, someone's digging through someone's attic and they find my book? Mm hmm. Then I, you know, you're, I always believe immortality or, or your, your life lives on until the last time your name is spoken. So if 150 years from now, you know, maybe I don't have grandchildren or whatever, but like if someone finds that book, then I'm kind of immortal again. That was kind of a thought. And that was a motivation for right now. I just wrote it for myself. I didn't write thinking this is going to help somebody or help someone. If that happens, that's a great byproduct, but if nobody had ever bought it or read it, at least I had this physical, you know, um, account of in part my life, but my ideas and how I think that people would improve their life. And for the bartender, you know, like, or the hairstylist, you know, we seek these people's advice, probably shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, but there is therapeutic uh, value to that. And, I, I did research too. I, I found that nobody else had written a book like that. You know, I wanted to make sure I had a somewhat original idea. Sure. Every bartender book was either just anecdotal stories. Yeah, no funny real stories or whatever, but no yeah. real purpose to it. Or recipes. And this was the first where, uh, you know, it was somewhat autobiographical only because I wanted those stories to... um articulate uh, an idea or concept yeah taking time just to get to know the man behind the moon god pod you guys know him as j wow lax he's just j dog to me but that's okay uh, the, the best been... thing was when your dad used to uh your dad is what three-star general mm-hmm. yep when a three-star general calls you j dog yeah he's <laughs> here's the best part we're 40-ish years old at this point. Yeah. He still does it all the time. How's J-Dog doing? <laughs> He's good. He's still barking. He's still uh, barking. He's still out there nipping at yeah. heels. I, I think it's 
it's so fascinating. I sometimes uh, really wonder. We, you, and I had a sports talk show, probably the best sports talk radio college show of all time, in the history of all of them. Yeah, I don't not just App State in the history of all of them. And uh, I just really sometimes wonder, like, what would have happened, like, if we were, you know, like timing, like, say, mm-hmm. like, if two thousand and ten, you and I were at App State, yeah. 18 years old, yeah. doing college radio, like YouTube, all these things, yeah. like in 2010, would, would we uh, have kind of gone that route? You know, because now, like when I meet people that are wanting to be in broadcasting, I'm like, if you want to work in local news or try and get there, like the, the truth be told, like, just get on YouTube and podcast and going. start doing your thing, yep. you know? Yep. I'm having as much fun now sharing the stories we are, even having this conversation today than we did just as much fun now doing this than we did covering the greatest things we did in live television. Uh, And you're right, man. The advent of just all the different platforms and the ability to go out there and create a a platform and tap into an audience. uh, I tend to think we would have done pretty well in that space. And it's a reason why we continue to do it today and, and share content in the different ways that we do it, which is, uh, which is pretty fun, man. It's good to be able to do it, right? Share these stories and stuff. Well, and to spin it back to why we're on this podcast, Aku, you know, that's one of the things like that's so motivating and, and having a guy like Micah, like spearheaded, you know, mm-hmm. and the creative and, you know, just at, at no point in history has there been so much opportunity for someone to really come from, from nothing, you know, like, if, if you have a Wi-Fi connection and a laptop, like you can make a million dollars, you know, like you could create content with your phone now. Like, you know, when we were in college, we had to rent out camera equipment just to do anything. And now mm-hmm. everything is so readily available. And, um, you know, I, uh, I meet a lot of young, you know, college age type kids that just don't know what they want to do and their parents, which is weird because I'm probably close to their parents' age and they're telling them, you know, the things that our parents told them, you know, like, well, you need to go to college. You need to get your education. And I'm like, if you want to be a lawyer, doctor, for sure. 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 I don't want my doctor watching YouTube videos to learn how to do surgery. Yeah. (laughs) But oh yeah, I should just uh, cut over here and hold on. Let me pause this real quick. There's an ad. Yeah. But there's so many opportunities yeah. like yeah but you know what's not replaced the kid who was willing to drive all the way down to atlanta at 10 a.m on a monday morning the guy who was willing to take a flyer on himself and do shitty jobs on whatever production set the guy who was willing to bartend and work his way from poker table to poker table so you can you we can have the greatest technologies and all these ways for the next gen to create and they're doing it, but there are lessons in here about hard work and also believing in yourself. And if you take a look at Aku, kid's got his eyes to the sky, right? Because mm-hmm. he's longing for something bigger than himself and something a little bit better. And I think that's why you guys are on fire for it and wishing nothing but the best in it and know that whatever happens, it'll be a wildly successful, my brother. I appreciate that. This is your show. You can take us out any way you want, or I'd be happy to wrap us up. You tell me. Um, how about we do a, 
a double wrap up. I'll wrap up and then you take us out. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to say thanks to the uh, Aku community. I hope that I've been able to kind of enlighten you and give you a little insight onto who I am. I, in a community of the NFT space where, you know, half of us are docs and half of us are not, um, I, I've got, I've got a book out there. So <laughs> like, there's nothing for me to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this community is really important. It's important for me to share my story because, um, as much as I enjoy sharing, you know, the other moon God stories, you know, I want you guys to know who I am. And that's really what Aku and the creative is all about is storytelling. And one thing about being a broadcaster and, and I think Brian has felt this way too, with his new venture with pick up the six is that my favorite element of broadcasting wasn't telling you the score or the outcome of a game or highlights. It was really telling stories and this is the best opportunity. This is the marriage of everything. And, um, you know, of course we need help, you know, the like subscribe comment, all those things are important. Um, and we want to hear your feedback. So, uh, with that, I will say thank you, Brian for uh, dropping your bombs and your broadcasting expertise and take us out. My pleasure. He is Jay Wow. I'm Brian Jodis, the host of Pick Up the Six podcast. But on this day, you're listening to the Moon God Pod.